Beverly is going to come and read to us from 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Dale's going to bring uh, a message from, from this chapter in a moment. In the Pew Bibles, this reading is on page 221. titled Samuel's Farewell Speech. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and grey and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you. And also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash 
king of the Ammonites was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord. And that same day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Thank you, Bev. So let's ask God's help as we seek to Open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us today. 
thank you, Lord, for a time and place set aside just to say, search me, O God, know my heart. We ask, Lord, that your word would fall upon good soil, that we would receive your words, that we'd be humble and receptive and responsive. We thank you very much for your faithfulness, for your goodness, that we can enjoy how good you are today, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So good morning. Nice to be with you. You should all be jealous of me that I get to look at your lovely faces from up here. We've been going through the book of Samuel and I'm just going to bring you up to speed. You may have been here the whole time but I'm going to bring you up to speed anyway. It's a wonderful story, the story of the history of God's people, and the story is for us. You ready? So I'm starting from chapter 8, where Samuel, he has served God's people his whole life, and he's old, and he's appointed his children, his sons, to be judges in his place. But his sons are not like him. They're corrupt. They're scoundrels, they're greedy, they're dishonest. And the people come to Samuel and they say, look, you're old, your sons are no good, we want a king. And this is upsetting for Samuel. He takes it personally, it seems. And he goes to the Lord and the Lord says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're actually rejecting me just like they've done ever since Egypt. So go and talk to them and tell them that if they go ahead with this king business, they need to know what they're in for. So Samuel goes back to them and says, if you want a king, this is what a king's going to be like. He'll get the best of all you've got. He'll take your sons and your daughters in his service And you'll end up being his slaves. So, you want a king? And they said, yes, give us a king. (laughs) We don't care. That's what we want. We want to be like all the other nations. They've got a king who will go ahead and fight their battles and judge and, uh, and rule for them and make their decisions. That's what we want. So the Lord says, listen to them, give them a king. So Samuel sent them home. In chapter 9, we find this tall, handsome fellow, the son of Kish, from an important family in Israel, an influential family, whose family has lost their donkeys. And Saul and one of the servants are roaming the countryside looking for the donkeys. And they go a very long distance until Saul says, just correct me, would you, if I say Saul when I should say Samuel and Samuel when I should say Saul, because I tend to do that. I don't want to confuse anyone. I know what I'm saying in my head, but sometimes. So Saul says, 
we'd better go back because my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and he'll start worrying about us. But the servant says, there's a fellow here. He's a seer. What he says comes true. He knows stuff. Let's talk to him. So they go to talk to Samuel. In the meantime, the Lord had already told Samuel that someone's going to come and see you, Samuel, and he's going to be Israel's new king. Isn't that amazing? How God is just... Try and figure out how God works. You won't be able to do it. He is just amazing. He's got these donkeys wandering the countryside. He's talking to Samuel about how that's all going to end up and here's your king. So Saul goes to Samuel to ask about the donkeys and Samuel says to Saul, all of Israel's desire is upon you and your family. And Saul says, who am I? And we find this wonderful humility actually in, in Saul in the early days. And so Samuel gets alongside Saul, he eats with him, he spends some time with him, he talks with him, he instructs him. And um, I think he loves Saul, actually. You get that impression, the more you read, that Saul becomes a bit like a son to Samuel. And Samuel sends him on his way and he runs into a band of prophets who are prophesying And the Spirit of God comes upon Saul and he prophesies and he becomes a different person and God gives him a new heart. I love that. And he goes home. And his dad asks him what happened and he said, oh yeah, he told us about the donkeys and didn't mention anything about um, becoming king. Anyway... Samuel gathers the nation together and he says, you've asked for a king, even though God is your king, well, I'm going to present him to you. So he casts lots and the lots fall to the tribe of Benjamin and then he casts lots again and it falls to um, Saul's family and he casts the lots again and now they're looking for Saul and where's Saul? He's hiding amongst the bags. And the Lord says, he's hiding amongst the bags. So someone goes to get him. They drag him out. He must have done a good job of hiding. It would have been very hard to hide a big body like his. Because when they present him to the people, he's this great, massive, handsome guy. And Samuel says, behold your king. And they are impressed. And they say, long live the king. And God stirs some men to get alongside him and to be his right-hand men. But there's also some grumblers there who say, well, who's this guy and what's he going to do for us? And they didn't present him any gift as their king. And then Saul goes home and it appears that he just gets to work on the farm like he was before. But this fellow Nahash, the Ammonite king, he comes and besieges the little town of Jabesh and this is an evil evil man this King Nahash who David tells us uh, his name means serpent and he besieges this city and the people say okay 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 we'll surrender to you 
Make a treaty with us. We'll surrender. And he says, okay, you can surrender to me. I won't kill you. But, if you, but the, these are the terms of our treaty. I'm going to gouge out every one of your right eyes to bring disgrace upon your nation. And the people say, okay, give us seven days and then we'll surrender to you. And so they send messengers out throughout all of Israel. And I think Nahesh is just laughing about this. He's thinking, who's going to save these people? He's just despising God's people and mocking them, as the, even as the messengers go out. And as the messengers go out from town to town, every town the message comes to, there's weeping and there's crying. They're just a bullied, miserable people with no hope. So sad. It breaks your heart to think of the condition they were in. Anyway, the messenger comes to Saul's town and people are crying. And Saul says, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? And they tell Saul what's happened. And this is where it gets exciting. And the Spirit of God comes upon Saul and he gets angry. He is hot with anger. And he cuts up his pair of oxen and he sends it throughout Israel and he says, this is what's going to happen to your oxen if you don't get alongside me. And he sends messengers back to the, um, to the people in the town where Nahash had besieged them and he said, before the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. And the people are going, yes. They don't get too excited in front of Jabesh. They say, okay, tomorrow we're going to surrender to you. Did I say Nahash or Jabesh? I get those words mixed up too. (laughs) Anyway, Saul rallies Israel and during the night he divides into three parties. He attacks the Ammonites and before, um, before the sun gets hot, there's not two of them together. They are completely and utterly defeated And Samuel takes this opportunity and says, okay, now we're going to do this king thing properly. And he gathers all of Israel and he says, let's renew the kingship. And so he renews the kingship and the people are full of joy and they're celebrating this fantastic victory. And then some people say, oh, where's those grumblers that despised Saul and didn't think he was going to be any good? Where are they? they? Let's kill them too. Anyway, Saul says, no more killing today. And he just displays this humble, gracious attitude. And it's all looking really quite wonderful. But there's always a party pooper, isn't there? When things are going great, someone has to get serious. And Samuel gathers the people while they're all in this great, joyful victorious, happy state, and he says to them, have I done the right thing by you? And they say, yes. Have I stolen anything? Have I been corrupt? Have I taken advantage of you? Have I used my power wrongly? No. Where's this going, Samuel? And from this beautiful place of integrity, of lifelong service, he brings these a hard word, to Israel 
Why? Because he's about to hand over the leadership to Saul. And he knows that the people are not necessarily on a good trajectory. He loves them. He shares God's heart for them. And he wants their future to be good. But he doesn't believe that their future at the moment is automatically going to be good. Because God can get you out of a tangle and you can still be headed on the wrong track. Don't you think? Has it ever happened to you? I can look back on my life when my heart was hard against God and intent on evil, but I still know that there were times when I cried out for God's help and he helped me. But my life was on a bad trajectory. And so, could I have hope just because God had helped me? Not necessarily. I think about this fellow in John chapter 5 who'd been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and asks him if he wants to get well. And Jesus heals him. And then Jesus finds him later and says, See, you are well. Stop sinning. Or something worse might happen to you. What could be worse than being a beggar, a crippled beggar for 38 years? It must be bad. Jesus looks at the trajectory of this man's life and he says to him, I've picked you up out of this tangle that you're in, but you've got to get on the right track. Otherwise, you don't have hope for the future. And so this is what Samuel wants to do for the people. And I've got four C's for you this morning. Four C's that he applied to the people and four C's that apply to us today so that we can be people who know that we have hope. Are you ready? Cool. One person's ready. (laughs) First thing is he wants them to consider, to stop and to think. They're in this fantastic, victorious, happy state. But he doesn't want them just to roll on from there. He wants them to stop and think. He says, I want you to stop and think because they're in danger of thinking, okay, we've asked for a king. Sure, God wasn't real happy about it, but we asked for a king and boy, I'm glad we did because look how it's all turned out. This is fantastic. We've got a king. He's beaten our enemies and we are cruising into the future. And, God, and Samuel says, I want you to stop and think about this. What is your relationship with God actually like? Because that is what will determine your future. Verse 24. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. You've got a king, yes, but you and your king will perish if your relationship with God isn't right. Don't rest on the fact that you've got yourself a king. I want you to think about it. And verse 7, he says, Stand here because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord 
as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. I want you to consider this evidence, he says. I want to show you how God has treated you and I want to show you how you have treated God and I want you to get it. Let's not roll into the future without this perspective. And this is the same for us, especially I think when life is comfortable and good, when things are going well, it's easy just to think, well, God's happy with me, I'm just cruising along. And not to actually invite the Lord to examine your heart and to say, how is my relationship with God? Where am I at? With him. I thank God that he stopped me in my tracks. Second C is cry out. You can only have hope if the cry of your heart is directed towards God. This is what Samuel says to them. He says, listen. Jacob entered Egypt, this is verse 8. When Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. But then they forgot the Lord and he sold them in the hands of Sisera, the the commander of the army of Hazor. And then verse 10, but then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned, we've forsaken the Lord. And then verse 11, then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah and Samuel. It's funny how Samuel talks about himself in the third person, isn't it? And he sent Samuel. (laughs) I just like that little bit there. And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around. So this is what Samuel's saying. When you cried to God, he always helped you. Always. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no. We want a king. So hurtful, so... So time after time after time after time, the people have rebelled, they've gotten themselves into trouble, but yet they've cried out to God and every time they cried out to God, God rescued them. But when this bully Nahash comes along, what do they do? Give us a king. Who's been your king all this time? Give us a king. He'll rescue us. Who's been rescuing you all this time? God is your king. It begs the question, when we are in trouble, when we're confronted with difficulty, when we are threatened by something, where is the cry of our heart directed? What do we reach for in order to have hope and have confidence? Samuel says to them, don't, verse 20, 21, don't turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. The um, ESV Bible says, don't go after empty things. Asking for a king was just another form of idolatry. Instead of putting their hope in the Lord to rescue them, they wanted to put their hope in a king to rescue them. Trev said that he 
got a T-shirt that says, I do dumb things. I think you do a lot of good things too, mate. But they did a really, really dumb thing. Not just a dumb thing, but actually an, an, an evil and dumb thing. Because they say to Samuel, this is how human beings can be. We, I think, Trev, you should duplicate that T-shirt and uh, bring many, many T-shirts next. And begin with me. Because the human heart is deceitful and they say to Samuel, look, your sons, let's just listen to the irony of this. Your sons are corrupt, so give us a king. That's real smart, that is. What's a king? You're setting up this thing where you've got a king and then the son becomes the king. And then the son becomes the king. And then the, you're stuck. If Samuel had been a king, they were stuck with the sons. So they say, oh, we don't like your sons. Give us a king. Dumb things. Empty things. This poor fellow who was sitting by the pool at Bethesda, called Bethesda, And Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? And the man says, sir, whenever the water is stirred, someone always gets in before me. I've got no one to carry me down so that I can get well. What was was he thinking? So apparently an angel would come along and stir up the water. And if you got into the water first, you would be healed. And he's been here 38 years with this hope in his heart. Maybe next time the water is stirred, I'll be in there first. Then I'll be healed. Now this is the human condition that we hope in empty things. And the lies of Satan just take on so many different forms throughout the world. And Jesus comes to him later and says, See, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What was his sin? Well, think about this for yourself because perhaps the Lord had something else in mind than what I'm reading. But see if you think this rings true to you. He's been crippled for 38 years. He's not getting up to much mischief. He can't really, can he? Perhaps the sin that Jesus wants him to let go of is his false hope. Jesus has got him out of a tangle. Now he has the opportunity to put the hope of his heart in someone true. Someone who really can help him. Someone who will give him hope for the future. Let go of your idols and put your trust in me. That's what I think Jesus was saying to this man. That's what Samuel is saying to the people of Israel. Stop putting your trust in empty things. You've been crying out to idols. Now you're just crying out to a different idol. You've got yourself a king and you think everything is great. It's not great. The hope of your heart, your cry for help, must always and only be in the God who is your king. So let's examine our own hearts. Where does my heart turn when I'm in trouble? It has to be in God or we actually don't really have any hope at all. The third thing he wants them to do is to confess. 
I remember talking to a fellow who was having, some years ago, who was having some marriage problems. And he said, she keeps on wanting to talk about the past. I'm not going to talk about the past. I'm just not going to engage in those conversations. Well, that makes it a bit tricky, doesn't it? (laughs) And perhaps there's more, I'm simplifying the problem. But it is true that if you're not prepared to look at the past and deal with the past, then you haven't got much of a future in terms of that relationship. You've got to be able to own your stuff, acknowledge it as wrong, admit the hurt that you have caused and ask for forgiveness. Then the relationship can move forward. They were in danger of saying, oh, well, yeah, we probably did the wrong thing, ask for a king, but gee, it's worked out great, hasn't it? Let's just move on. Let's not, worry. Let's not dwell on the past. But Samuel says... No, no, please no. What you did was very, very wrong. And it says something about your relationship with God that is very serious and it needs to be put right. And so they say in verse 19, we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. They confessed. And so do we. When we become aware of our sin, we don't deny it, we own it. We seek forgiveness and then we can move forward with hope. And finally, before we come to a time of communion, Samuel says, now I want you to commit yourself to God. And this was the pattern. They cried to the Lord, verse 10, and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Do you remember Zechariah who was the father of John the Baptist? And he didn't believe that his wife was going to have a baby and so he wasn't able to speak. Do you remember that? But finally when John was born and he was able to speak, he comes out with this beautiful, um, like a psalm of praise to God. And he says about Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here, verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. This is what was on the heart of Zechariah. We just want to be free to serve you, God. This is the point of being rescued, of being saved, is so that we can be free to serve the Lord. This is what a meaningful and full and hopeful and beautiful life looks like. It's a life that is committed wholeheartedly to God. Verse 24, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. It sounds a little bit like Paul in Romans chapter 12. And he says, and now when we see all this mercy that God has given to us, what's our right response of worship? 
to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. What else are you going to do? A life committed to God is an eternal life. This is what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Isn't God good to show us how to have a hope-filled life? Thank you, Lord.